I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman podcasts. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Welcome back to another Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Rashomon. Every Rashomon, Rasha woman, and Rasha child who likes this episode should check out Rashomon. Today I'll be sitting down with actress Ingrid Oliu, a.k.a. the very first voice of Renee Montoya for the bulk of Batman the Animated Series, to talk about one of the best early episodes, POV. I'll also be joined by Clay Larson, a longtime buddy and Bat fan, to talk about the episode in more detail. But first, a quick, huge announcement! Batman the Animated Podcast will be having its very first live show. That's right, live show, baby! at the Long Beach Comic Expo next month. I'll be doing a live screening of a Batman the Animated Series episode followed by a panel featuring Diane Pershing, a.k.a. the voice of Poison Ivy, Kevin Altieri, the director of the episode we'll be screening, as well as longtime storyboard artist and director for the rest of the series, and even more fun guests and surprises to be announced. You might be wondering, when is this show? Well, I'll tell you. It's February 19th at 1 p.m. in Long Beach, California. Get your tickets now at longbeachcomicexpo.com. I'll have stickers and who knows what other goodies. Either way, stop by, say hey, watch an episode, chat about it. Ooh, it's going to be a great time, guys. All right, without further ado, let's get to... Today's episode, POV. When Detective Harvey Bullock botches a sting operation, he, Montoya, and Rookie Wilkes are questioned by Internal Affairs. Bullock's face-saving story is so at odds with the other testimonies that the IA believes no one and suspends them all. Eager to clear her name, Montoya follows up on some clues which lead her to the location of the gangsters they were after during the sting. Story by M. Bryan. Teleplay by Sean Catherine Derrick and Laren Bright. Directed by Kevin Altieri. Music by Shirley Walker. Animation services by Spectrum. Featuring Kevin Conroy as Batman, Robert Costanzo as Detective Bullock, Bob Hastings as Commissioner Gordon, Robbie Benson as Officer Wilkes, John Considine as Hackle, Ron Perlman as a drifter. That's right, he didn't just clayface it up, he drifted too, baby. Tokyo Clayface. Oh, that was a convoluted and dated joke. Ingrid Oliu as Officer Renee Montoya and Mark Tubert as Scarface, who I'm assuming is not the same Scarface as the one we see later in the series. Today's fan, Clay Larson. Clay's a longtime buddy of mine. We went to college together. We've done improv together. We play D&D together. Also, he loves Batman the Animated Series. You can check out his stuff at Clay Larson on Twitter or watch his live streaming D&D show on Jash called Aristocrats. He brings on comedians and other funny humans to play D&D maybe for the first time and it is a blast. All right, let's get to that first interview. down with Clay Larson. Hello. One of one of my oldest buddies, Batman watching buddies especially. Yeah. You've you've been a you were like one of the first people I thought of when I made this podcast. Uh which has been what like a year ago now. Yeah, it was it, a long year ago. Yeah, it was uh I, we like had some trouble scheduling this at first, which is crazy cuz I'm not like I'm busy but not that busy. You but. live down the street. Yes. 
but now we're talking Batman. Chatting Bat, baby. <laughs> we're chatting the Bat. I remember, and I said I would bring this up on the podcast, that uh, I, I have a distinct memory of, in college, us instant, like, AIMing each other, or iChatting each other, uh-huh. about fake Batman action figure variants. Yes. And I, for some reason, saved it as a screen cap, because I thought it was a really funny joke. Oh, I remember that, but I do you remember any of them? I think I don't we think were I just do. like making fun of how there'd be like neon ultra robo pack back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all the different uh action figure subtypes that don't ever show up anywhere for real. They're just cheaply made and reproduced so kids would just buy keep buying more Batman yeah. stuff. And then at a certain age you realize, wait a second. Arctic Warrior Batman is just a repaint of Neon Freon Batman. And Neon Freon Batman is just a repaint of Neon Freon Clayface. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a, a bold repaint. Yeah, bold repaint. Very small niche market for yeah. that figure. <laughs> Uh, so when I first asked you about the show, I asked which episode you wanted to talk about, and you pretty immediately got back with POV. Yes, and and I also like had said I think I you I think my initial offer was like I'll do whatever episode nobody else wants to do uh, because I like I like this show so much like I will gladly talk about like some of like uh, we described it earlier as kind of like the B sides yeah uh, or the deep cuts I'd say this um, is a deep cut this is yeah. a B side of a deep cut yeah and POV is great because it's definitely a deep cut like there's barely any Batman there's no. I was going to say no super vil- no uh, big villains, but there's no super villains at all. No, the boss. Yeah. Uh, That's the name of the villain, and we never find out we never, he who the ha- boss is. He has no lines. Who's the boss? <laughs> That's what Batman is always asking. Hey, hey, excuse me, Commissioner. Who's the boss? All we really know about him is that he has a monocle and wears, I think, a derby, a bowler hat, and a very stylish trench coat. He's like a proto-Clock King, or the Clock King's cousin. Yeah, he, his silhouette actually even does kind of look like the Clock King. Uh, except if the Clock King was wearing a long trench coat. Um, but yeah, like, POV is great. Uh, I think in part because of those aspects of it. Um, it actually reminds me, I was thinking about why I like this episode a lot. And I also really like the series, the comic series Gotham Central. And like, I think you got me into that in college, and I, I remember oh, really? reading them. And yeah, it was great. Or we just happened to be into the same things, and I read them. But I, I feel like I wasn't as comic book savvy at the time, and it's like a weird offset comic book. It was all about the ta- like. It, I think my yeah. Montoya was a main character. In yeah, that she was. Uh, it was. And if anybody doesn't know, Gotham Central is basically a comic book series that is, if you imagine like NYPD Blue, but set in Gotham. Where, like, Batman barely ever shows up. It like, would make a great TV show, especially now. Like, you know what the crazy thing that. is? I remember hearing it was being talked about doing it as a TV show. And I think... Uh, I don't remember this clearly enough to talk really authoritatively about it. But I think it was, like, in development for a hot second. But then Gotham went into development and basically put the kibosh on probably that ever happening. Yeah. Like, Once you have Gotham, you're kind of... Because even though it's, like, in Gotham Central, Batman exists. He's, like, at the height of his crime-fighting career, but he's just... Bar- he's, like, treated like almost an urban myth, or, like, like you barely ever see him. Um, but I feel like there's no way... You've got Gotham. They're not going to make another Batman show without Batman anytime soon. Um, yeah, they would. I remember the villains would be kind of, like cameo-ish sort of characters or like it would it would surround something like the Joker or Mr. Freeze was doing but like watching how the police had to deduce stuff and actually put in work yeah like how okay you're a cop in Gotham how do you deal with a city where like the Joker is running around how do you survive (laughs) yeah yeah like anyway that we got a little off topic on just talking about how great Gotham Central is, but POV sort of reminds me of that because it's such from the perspective of the Gotham PD. Yeah, it really is. I mean, Batman is still seen as kind of like a, a mysterious force or, you know, classic Bullock hating Batman. Yeah. Uh, emblematic cop hates Batman. Yeah. It's also great because, I mean, I think the way, like, the, the log line for people describing POV is do, should we. D- Read the description and all. Oh, I do it. In the oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. That's right. Um, uh, so, like, 
I feel like the log line for how people describe POV is, oh, it's like Rashomon. Uh, which, yeah, the Kurosawa movie. Yeah, and like I actually I hadn't watched it for a little while, so when I watched it again for this, I re- I had forgotten that. Oh yeah, that whole like multiple perspectives thing is only the first half of the episode. Yeah, I thought it was the whole episode. Right, and uh, it's actually interesting. The IMDb IMDb page with the trivia uh, says that basically th- there was like an interview with the people Sean, Catherine, Derek, and Laren Bright the original story people on this episode saying that they basically took out almost nine minutes of the, what the original story for this was like, there were flashbacks to both uh, Montoya and Bullock's youth. Like this says, uh, this is on the IMD page, IMDB page. It says we cut out flashbacks to Montoya's youth when she was called a liar and flashbacks to Bullock's youth when he was playing high school football when his dad yells at him because he was using teamwork. Quote, unquote, don't be a team player, be a star. Being a team player is for losers. Go out for number one, pal. I kind of love that. That gives a lot of uh, like backstory to Bullock. Yeah. Uh, but also pretty irrelevant in... Yeah, the episode doesn't need it, but I partly just want to watch the animated scene of Bullock's dad telling him teamwork is for losers. I want to see like a life, a life with Louie uh, style cartoon with Lil Bullock. Little Lil Bullock. Lil Bullock. That's Lil a Bullock. hard contraction to say. Uh, Lil Bullock. Bullock Jr. Bullock Jr. Yeah. Hey, Dad! I want a donut. Still, still with a toothpick in his mouth. He's got a toothpick. He wears a trench coat and a fedora. <laughs> uh, Killer Croc hates him and has a vendetta. Little Croc mm-hmm. hates him. Yeah, has a pistol. Yes, definitely yes. has a pistol. Uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely like you know a reference, an homage to Rashomon. Yeah. Which, if you haven't seen that film, is broken up to, into separate points of view, separate stories about the same main event. And it's not quite as complicated or as uh, uh, sophisticated as Rashomon, which the fact that I'm even having to say, it's not quite as sophisticated as that Kurosawa movie is a testament to how good this show is. Yeah. Uh, But, like, because in Rashomon, they are telling their different perspectives on the story, and they don't realize the discrepancies and the you the viewer don't realize the discrepancies until they're comparing the stories which in this like in Bullock's story he's telling it with his take on it but what you see in the visuals are the actual so like he says uh oh i got there early i went in and there was a loud sound must have been batman but then what we, we see, see trip. we see him trip over a paint can right. so like and i like i think that is a little bit of a okay this is a show that was on on Saturday mornings or, or weekday afternoons for kids, ostensibly. But the fact that they even did this multiple... And the fact that they trusted kids to be able to, like, understand, like, oh, yeah, they're say- he's saying this, but it's not true because we're seeing this, is like, oh, yeah, we're not dumbing this down to, like, the most basic level for kids. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's it definitely is something that challenges, <laughs> at least, like... The Saturday morning or like after school program yeah. style of programming. Yeah, uh, no, that's another. The fact that this episode is also like it's experimental in that sense, but like I think when you think of episodes like this of a show, you think, oh, that's probably like a later season episode. This is the first season when they're doing this. This is one of the first episodes. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of what I love about it is that they just dove into the cop end of things. Uh, they also, it looks, I mean, you can tell in these early episodes, the way they look, they, they take more time. It feels slow, kind of like those Fleischer Superman cartoons, yeah. which, you know, Batman was definitely influenced by, mm-hmm. but I, I love those cartoons so much. And it feels like the attention and time every shot gets is just, damn beautiful in these early episodes like the stories may be a little clunkier but it just looks like they took more time with it yeah absolutely and there's a lot of i was like when i was watching it i was noticing there's a lot of great small visual details that a lot of shows wouldn't i think a lot of animated shows 
like, uh, especially because, you know, they're watching budgets and all that sort of thing, wouldn't take the time to do. Uh, uh, the main example of this that I was thinking of was, so towards the end, there's one of the thugs who we looked up before this was voiced by Ron Perlman. Yep, who uh, also voiced Clayface, and that's yep. the only thing he's known for. <laughs> yep, yep, that's all. Uh, little known actor, Ron Perlman. <laughs> Um, actually, I mean, in 92 or whatever, he probably wasn't. He definitely you know. was more of a, like, character actor that right. nobody really knew um, too much about. But, so his character, who attacks Rene Montoya with the drill they're using to drill into a safe, and therefore is credited as named Driller, uh, so great. Perfect thug name. Uh, and also, I would also say, just, this is a side note, if you look at that character design, kind of looks like Ron Perlman as an animated series design. <laughs> like, a little bit. Ron, we're gonna need you to sit here and pose nude while our artists paint every part of your body for this sequence. Isn't this character gonna have a trench coat on or something? Uh, yes, but we have a trench coat model. It's hanging on that coat rack over there. Couldn't you use the model for the body, too? We want to make sure we get the contours of your muscle underneath just right. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Perlman. <laughs> um... But yeah, so Driller gets in... Batman's fighting these thugs in a warehouse along the docks, and Driller gets knocked off into the water, and you don't see him for, like, I'd say a solid five minutes or so in the show, but then all of a sudden he reappears, and the next time you see him, he's in a forklift, like, it's a surprise, like, he got out of the water and got this vehicle, and he's driving it at Batman, and I think a lot of kids' shows and just places looking to cut costs would just be like, great, his design's now on the forklift. We don't need – people will assume all that. But in this, if you look at him, they're, they animated water coming off of his huh. head to give a visual of, oh, yeah, he got out of the river. It's not just a like, you know, like that sort of like cartoony like he was over here, but now he's over here sort of warping where he's not affected by yeah, what happened. Yeah, it's just an attention to detail that for sure costs yeah. more time and money. And it's like the drops are animated. They're not like just static like uh, uh, like cell, cells that were pulled across or anything. Yeah. Like they're, they're flying off of him. And that's such a small detail that would be so easy to say, we don't need this. But... It's a visual thing that like, and I also feel like that's something that is kind of a cool thing to do for a kid's show because it is like, if there are kids who are younger and watching it who maybe wouldn't get that, like that is a visual indicator of like, oh, that's right. That's the guy who was in the water. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a tiny cool detail. Uh, I wonder how much of that is uh, through the direction. I think this is a Kevin Altieri episode. I think so, yeah. And he's... Yes, it is. Great. He's also... He was a board artist on the show as well. Mm -hmm. I feel like he's an incredibly visual guy and all of his episodes are boarded so dynamically and cinematically. Mm -hmm. Like he also did... Uh, like that Showdown episode, the flashback to the Jonah Hex Wild West yeah, yeah, yeah. one. Amazing. Like, all of his stuff is so good. Uh, I wonder if that happened to play into it or if it was just, you know, an overall mandate at the I time. I feel like it could have because that doesn't seem like that. I can't imagine, like, they wrote that into the script or anything like that. Uh, there was a page on dripping water from <laughs> Driller's face. <laughs> also, his name was in the script, Driller. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mr. Perlman, we're going to have to now douse your naked body with water. <laughs> or actually, sit here for hours and sweat under these lights. <laughs> um, another example of that... Uh, and we don't have to talk about tiny, tiny animation details the I whole mean, time, that's but, kind of what this podcast is about. <laughs> uh, but, like, the other example of that that I loved in this is, so when, oh, I already forgot, the young cop's name, the rookie's oh, name, Wilkes. Wilkes. You mean Wilkes, the Gotham City police officer we've never seen before and never see again? Mm-hmm. Who talks, he's, oh, gee, he's never been on a sting, Is real. a little bit too much, right? A little bit. <laughs> he's like... I mean, man, you want a one-dimensional, prototypical, like, this is a rookie cop? Get Wilkes from the animated series. Oh, please, gee, I sure would be excited. Oh, jeez, Montoya, I've never been on a sting before. Uh, why don't you hang out with my boring, annoying friend, Jimmy Olsen? <laughs> he he kind of looks like Jimmy Olsen. He does, and actually, I have more respect for Jimmy than to make him hang out with Wilkes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Jimmy's an artist, at least. He's a photographer. Right. Like me. Ooh, Clay Larson, um, photographer, plugging himself. Um, uh, 
But like, but so during Wilkes's uh, flashback, his description of the sting operation. So he goes chasing the guys who got away into an alley, and his whole thing is like kind of playing up to that idea of Batman being mythological almost even to the cops like to everybody who sees him and you know like the classic they have the things of like he we're seeing him uh uh point his grappling hook at a car door and electrifying it so it comes off but wilkes is describing it as he just pointed his finger at the car door and then a beam came out of the door and blew it off yeah it reminded me of that legends of the dark knight episode yeah um which is a classic Batman thing, and I love that. I think that's great. Uh, but the small detail is, in one of those things, so the crooks are in a car that's like, they're in an alley. The car is going down the alley to hit Wilkes, and it's about to hit Wilkes. Batman jumps down, and he throws, like, Caltrops at it. I think it's Caltrops like and those not batterings. Spiked. Yeah, yeah. They're like the spiked triangles that go on the ground to knock out tires. I don't think it's a battering. Yeah, you know, a wacky races thing. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It's actually a, that's like a real like thing they use in the army and stuff too. Right. Um, but I know it from Wacky Races. All right. Wacky Races is my army. General uh, Dastardly reporting for duty. Our points of reference are so different. <laughs> How um, will we ever get along by the end of the podcast? <laughs> uh, you're trying to say a real thing. What were you saying? But like, so Batman throws out these caltrops, and it's and Wilkes' description is he points at the car and sparks fly out of it. And then they show Batman do it, but the caltrops, which are metal, go and visually, like in the visual intelligence as a director, he must have realized, oh, he's throwing the caltrops into the headlights of this car. So in the animation, there's light glinting off of the caltrops, which is what Wilkes is describing as sparks coming out of his hand. And it's just one of those things where it's it's like... It's a pretty shot, too. It's a very nice shot. Uh, And it's one of those things where it's like... A lot of other shows would have just animated the Caltrops. You don't need that glint of light to make it. But it's just a really nice visual uh, shot, really, and attention to detail, like we're saying. Yeah, it's a very detail-oriented show. And I feel like at the time, especially, we were just coming out of, like, you know, the dark ages of animation for a little while, some 80s, just reusing the same stuff as much as possible. Right, kind of shittier Hanna-Barbera stuff and Funimation or... Yeah, and both of those shot detail shots we just talked about are like, they're not going to use those again. <laughs> no, like, but... There's no way they use those again at any other time. I would love it if that shot of Batman throwing Caltrops just showed up in like a Justice League Unlimited episode <laughs> 10 years later. <laughs> Very clearly a entirely different animation yeah, style. Wow, kind of weird when Batman threw those caltrops at Brainiac, but then Brainiac didn't react to anything <laughs> yeah. being thrown at him. It's like he threw sparks out of his hand. Oh, God, they even they just reused the line <laughs> that Wilkes said, but had Corey Burton re-record it. Um, uh, but yeah, the... Uh, yeah, POV is great. Um, it feels, before we started recording, I described it as almost feeling like a workmanlike episode. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Um, I guess I mean that, uh, the fact that there are no, there's no big villains, like, Batman's barely in it, it's just a good story, and it also feels like a, an episode that when I was a kid, maybe I, like, wouldn't have been excited about, because of the fact that there's, like, no villains and not a lot of Batman, um... But, like, they didn't care about that. Like, it's a good story, and it's interesting. It's different. They tried something different with the the way it was plotted. Uh, I don't know. I just think that's cool. And, like, I mean Workman, like, in a good way. It's not flashy. Yeah. And you also need episodes like this to make you care about people like Montoya or Mm -hmm. even Bullock. Yeah. this is probably the most screen time Montoya ever gets in the entire series. Like every yeah. now and I think in Harley and Ivy, like she has some fun moments where like she's the one who ends up taking them down. Right. Uh, and Bullock definitely gets his fair share of moments across the series. But I feel like Montoya is usually there as backup for a few like snarky lines or just earnestness. And in this episode, it, it kind of felt like she was the one with the character arc. Uh, like, yeah. she was the last one to, like, turn in her badge and gun and all that. Yeah. You know, and it felt like... 
and as she's a kid, the, you're like, she's telling the truth. And she's the one who figures out, on like, after she gets suspended, she's going home on what looks to be just, like, a, a metro line and is, like, try, like was scribbling on a paper. Like, she's still doing detective work and trying to figure out, uh, like, what... I think it was, like, she had heard one of the guys say something about Doc... Uh, and they assume at the... It was a pretty goofy realization. She's yeah. like on the met. Yeah, she's on the metro they, on the way back. She's like, Doc. <gasps> Doc with a K. Yeah, it's but funny because in the precinct, they're like, they assume, oh, it was a name. Doc. Doc something. And the other name that, in what, that shows up that they heard in one of the other storylines was Hackfield or Halfcock. Halfcock. Right. Which is a weird name. Um but uh, apologies to anyone named Hathcock listening. How dare you? <laughs> oh, Mr. Hathcock. I'm here, too. You should pitch in more if you're going to do this podcast. No, I like listening. All right. <laughs> Bye. Uh, but, you know, like, and so they hear the, and then she's trying to figure out, like, oh, is it Dr. Hathcock? Doc something? And, like, it takes her that long to realize, like, Oh, it's the docs. It's a she, place, not a person. simultaneously the smartest and dumbest person because it's good that they're giving her the smarts to figure it out. Yeah. But also, it's so easy. <laughs> She's the smartest of all the dummies in the police station who can't yeah. figure that out. She is a half step away from like an Adam West solving or Burt Ward solving an yeah. old school Batman Riddler riddle sort of realization or epiphany. But I feel like in these early episodes, they hadn't quite figured out the tone. Yeah, and I think there's also an element, too, of, like, it's a fairly complex storyline for 22 minutes in terms of, like, and the... And for mul- kids. <laughs> and for kids in terms of the, like, multiple plot lines. And, like, sometimes, like, it's, like, one of those things, like, we can make fun of it, but there's an element, too, of, like, I'll give them that one. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I still enjoy the style and the pace and, like, just th- this episode is so much fun. Yeah. Let's talk about Montoya for a second. I think she's one of, like, the coolest parts about this episode and show. Yeah. Having a not-white, not-man cop and is pretty pretty cool for a cartoon at that time, especially. And you might know this for sure. I'm not 100% sure. Wasn't Montoya also, like, kind of like Harley Quinn, created for the animated series? I and believe then, that she was. Right? Like, yeah. From what I remember, I, I think she is a character that was created for the animated series and then became a staple of the comic book. Yeah, she's, she's was in the comic already. She then, before, she was in the com- Batman comics kind of universe before Gotham Central. Then she was one of the main characters in Gotham Central, which when that series ended, I believe around the time it ended is when everything with, I want to say infinite crisis or the new 52 happened where she became the new question yeah uh which is just awesome that like oh yeah this character who was a cool progressive character in a 1992 animated series eventually becomes a superhero in her own right like 15 to 20 years later Oh, interesting. So, reading this, according to Bruce Tim, it was clear for the start that they needed a strong female policewoman as an audience viewpoint character. Uh-huh. The idea became popular and was borrowed by DC Comics because comics take generally shorter to produce than animation. She debuted in Batman number 475 in March 1992, well before her animated debut in Pretty Poison, which aired in September of the same year. So but she was invented for the cartoon, but they didn't get so to reveal we were, her. So we were technically right. Yes. But if someone said, no, I read a comic with Renee Montoya before she was ever in the cartoon, they would also be right. Yeah. That's, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. She, I mean, she shows up in a lot of episodes in the animated series. Yeah. But, but it's it's funny how, like... Harley Quinn kind of steals her thunder in terms of like being the characters that get brought over from the animated series, mm-hmm. like because that's funny because that means she sh- like she did she sh- she made that transition so far ahead of Harley. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, that's insane. I I was pretty sure that that happened with her, but I didn't realize it was like that quick of a turnaround. That's I guess that's crazy. Um, you learn something new every day on this podcast. Only on this podcast. Only on this podcast. Everywhere else you learn nothing. But yeah, it is like, she's a great character. Uh, it's I love that she is the everyman character. It's not like just a... Like, I feel like the easy route would have been to take like 
basically a Wilkes type character. Uh, where it's like he's a young cop who's never seen right, Batman, and but make he's him. the wienery one. Yeah, he's and the, he's she's the cool. I mean, like he's such a wiener. He really is. Wilkes, get out of here. <laughs> oh, jeez, I just I thought you wanted me to be a guest on the podcast. No, I specifically uninvited you to the podcast. I'd never done a sting operation, and yeah. I thought you wanted to hear about my experience. Why are you always talking about this sting, Wilkes? <laughs> It was real exciting. Did I ever tell you that I saw the Batman on Yes, him? yes, yes. He threw those shiny, you know, crackling lightning balls. Yeah, I think he's magic. Okay, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're, you're truly an idiot. Anyways, I'm going to try and get into Hogwarts now. Uh, you're walking into my bathroom, Wilkes. <laughs> Is this the train station to get to Hogwarts? You're walking into a wall in I, my bathroom. I want to be a wizard like Batman. Okay, you're you're flushing yourself down the toilet. Wee. Okay, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, he somehow got himself down that toilet. Yeah, he did. And to be fair, Wilkes is a genius for getting himself halfway down the toilet. <laughs> I imagined him getting stuck, <laughs> but still, his legs somehow fit. Uh, I love the idea that Wilkes is in our in our estimation like the Orko of Batman the animated series. <laughs> I wish he was the Orko. If he just kept showing up. <laughs> Man, do you think this is the most anybody's ever talked about the character Wilkes? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. Uh, even the writers were like, we got it. <laughs> I mean, he never shows up again. No. Um, that's who you should get on the show. I mean, listen, Renee Montoya's voice actor, very interesting character, progressive, fascinating, major character in the series. But who's that voice actor for Wilkes? Uh, so, the... A voice actor for Wilkes was Robbie Benson, who is most recently, uh, in the late 90s, was a director of an episode of Friends and a director for Ellen's sitcom. Um, He was considered for the role of Luke Skywalker in Star Wars Episode 4. You know, he kind of does have, like, early Mark Hamill... Kind of delivery, yeah. In the episode, like if you watch the original Star Wars, Mark Hamill is an incredible actor, but some of the it's I mean, also it's hard with that dialogue to make it sound yeah. natural. He also gets much better after the first one. Oh, absolutely. Which I, I think he gets like notoriously better. Like where I think I've heard stories of like he went to a bunch of um, uh, like basically acting classes and stuff afterwards i might be i think that's true i mean either way he got way better and let's be honest best joker ever oh yeah that i hesitated even saying anything like that because i love him so much that (laughs) like i don't want to be on a podcast about batman saying where he listens and he's like clay doesn't like me huh (laughs) why'd you have to say it in the joker voice (laughs) this is my real voice (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> God, nobody will nobody will do a better Joker, uh, and I say that uh, objectively and not yeah. subjectively. Uh, side note: uh, the guy who did Wilkes' voice also did Beast's voice in Beauty and the Beast. Really? He, I guess. Ooh, well, he was pretty good as Beast. Yeah. Uh, all right, Wilkes, you get a pass. You get a pass. Well, at least the actor who played Wilkes, the character, I don't know. <laughs> oh wait, maybe he didn't in the f- the actual movie, but then in like all the like sequel movies and like right he was cheaper beast he's cheaper beast (laughs) all right beware the cheaper beast (laughs) it sounds like the beginning of a uh grim's fairy tale poem or something beware the cheaper beast my children (laughs) his teeth that bite and voice that screeches the jabberwock he's (laughs) yeah he's the like the b-grade c-list jabberwocky he's cheaper beast and cheaper jabberwocky cheaper walkie cheaper walkie well any other things any other takeaways from pov um i think it's just a great solid batman story like and even though batman doesn't show up a, a lot in it it's i love the fact that like he doesn't batman doesn't have a line till like over halfway through the episode he only has I uh, looked it up. He only has six lines the entire episode. I love those sorts of stories. I like those in the comics, too. They would occasionally have, like, a comic story where Batman just shows up in the periphery or, like, at the very end or Reminding something. Reminding you that he is a legend mm-hmm. to most people in the city. He yeah. is to be feared. He is kind of a force of nature in the eyes of normal people. Yeah, and, like, 
the the I love those shots of like a cop seeing Batman up on the rooftop and oh while Batman, the building's on fire well, the building's that was on such fire, a good shot and then he ducks out of it and he doesn't say anything when he saves the cops like I like those reminders occasionally of like oh urban myth Batman also the investigator who uh, is investigating the three cops at the top we of can't the episode, forget talking about yeah, him Lieutenant. Hackle. Hackle. He sounds like he's the most cartoonish sounding investigator. He's maybe yelling more than not yelling. Yeah, and oh god, I'm blanking on the exact phrasing of it, but at one point there's something like, I love it because it's, it's like Commissioner Gordon says, this is not word for word, but it's something along the lines of like Commissioner Gordon say, take it easy, Hackle, and then Hackle says... No, you sit down, Gordon. It's like he responds, but it doesn't make any sense what he's res- the line he's responding to. Hackle's got to chill out. He's like the most cartoonish version of police internal affairs I've ever seen. Uh, and I love it. Well, at least we talked about Hackle. <laughs> uh, where can people find you if they want to follow more Clay Larson things? Uh, you can find me at the Twitch show I host. Uh, it's a show of comedians playing D&D. We sh- shoot live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time at twitch.tv slash jashplay. Uh, you can also find me, it's defunct really, I don't tweet very much, but at Clay Larson, uh, or my Instagram, at Clay Larson. Which is less defunct, you're a photographer. I am well. a photographer, you can find, I'm hopefully redoing my site soon, but uh, my f- work at uh, www.claylarson.com. I should have introduced you as photographer, comedian, D&D, entrepreneur. <laughs> entrepreneur. Pinier. Oh, uh, Hathcock is back. Hathcock. (laughs) I'm here and I've been listening and I hated it. (laughs) Well, Clay is a delight. All right, moving on to... Today's guest. Ingrid Olyu. Ingrid's a wonderful actress you guys probably know best as Officer Renee Montoya in Batman the Animated Series. Surprise, surprise. But she's also appeared in some really great films like Real Women Have Curves and Stand and Deliver. It was great sitting down with her, and it was a lot of fun to chat Montoya and her career in general. So guys, please, sit back, relax, take a break from the world falling apart around us, and listen to this interview. with Ingrid Oliu, and we are here to talk Renee Montoya, amongst other things. I, I mean, just right off the bat, think people really connect with this character. Did you expect it to be as big a deal as it was down the line? Not at all. The, the interesting part about getting this job was when, when I was first contacted was, I was like, I don't know anything, anything about animation. And they said, they don't want animation actors. They mm-hmm. want real actors. And I said, okay. The reason I got Montoya was because they wanted an actor that could speak Spanish without an accent. That They wanted her to have a neutral accent. And I was the only one that could deliver a neutral accent. At the time, I was doing a lot of radio spots for Sears and, mm-hmm. and uh, different companies. And the neutral accent was big. Uh, they didn't want you to, you know, you're not Mexican, you're not Puerto Rican, you're not Cuban, it's just neutral. So that... Is when I, I was told I uh, got the, the role. And then Andrea Romano had a lot to do with um, helping me through um, creating her and uh, parts where she had a fly or she was you know, being pulled up by Batman. Um, that was really hard, and she had to teach me uh, how, to, how to do that, how to voice that so it was a learn on the job sort of yes. job which seemed like the best jobs in general because yes. you get to play and learn at the same time i was were at that time i was doing more television okay uh, at first we did uh, stand and deliver 
which was uh, nominated for an Oscar. Which is incredible. It's an incredible <laughs> film. Um, but at, right after that, I did a lot of guest stars on television. And um, I'll tell you a real quick sad story was that I was doing so many guest stars. I had been hired to work one day uh, on a film, uh, Flatliners. And... Um, and I can't remember the name of the, the director now, famous director of Flatliners. Um, then I get cast to do a guest star on Hunter, which at the time on television was like the hottest detective show. Mm -hmm. Me not knowing any better, I asked to be released from Flatliners to do Hunter. And that is one of my big regrets because I should have been in Flatliners. I, I am credited as being uh, uh, on Flatliners and I get paid, but I wasn't in the, the How film. did that work out? How do I you get paid know. for not being in a film? It, my name is on the credits. <laughs> so um, I don't know if somebody pulled some strings because I was pregnant at the time and I was like, I'm going to work. <laughs> that's why I wanted to do the guest star, but that was uh, that's one of my regrets uh, in the film industry is that I turned that down. Well, let's such a great film. back up to how you got started. Um, Where are you from teenager, originally? I, I was born in Boyle Heights, California. A local Angelino? Yes. But I raised in Nicaragua, Central okay. America. And I'm uh, from Nicar Nicaraguan parents. And then I came back in 78 because of the revolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was in high school here. And somehow... I was invited to Nosotros, which is an organization for Hispanics uh, that are in the media, work in the media. And it's a great organization that helped me at the time uh, tremendously to get into AFI, to get into USC, UCLA, um, working student films, and then from there, AFI films. And um, the beauty of that, I was 18 when I worked with a, two writers director, producer, um, on their thesis at, at AFI. And five years later, I would be working with them again, this time, Stand and Deliver. Hmm. They were the same writers, Tom Muska and Ramon Menendez. And they had remembered you from... Oh, yes. <laughs> they remembered me, but the question was, can you still play 18? Because by then I was uh, 20, it had been five, I was in my 20s. And Ramon said, as long as you can, you can p play 18 or younger, you're in, you know, we'll, we'll work with you. So we went through um, auditions. We, were, we took a lot of pictures with a lot of different uh, actors. And so I was able... Did you have to cast. do anything to try to like look more 18 at the time? Um, I had very short hair. I ended up wearing a wig. Um, but no, you know why? It's everyone being cast was in their 20s. So we looked, we all looked. So across the board, it looked yeah. like. I mean. Um, it was Hollywood 18. <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips, you know, was in his 20s. Willie Gautier was in his 20s. They were all older than us. <laughs> so uh, I think um, Vanessa Marquez was the only one that was actually in her teens <laughs> when we shot the film. So that was Stand and Deliver. And then from there, I did a lot of guest stars. I worked with Tracy Ullman twice. Oh, wow. On what? On uh, the Tracy Ullman show. Makes sense. <laughs> um, first, I played a uh, Puerto Rican, and then I played a Nicaraguan. And um, it was an incredible, incredible trip to work with her. She's brilliant. Yeah, it feels like you, you also are like transcending genre, like you're doing drama and comedy. Yes. Uh, yes. Do you have a preference? No. No, I love whatever whatever comes. Um, I, love, I love them both. That's so, great. I, I love theater uh, very much. Uh, I was actually paid for the first time as an actor. I worked in, at the Pasadena uh, Playhouse last year, and we did a play, Real Women Have Curves, the play. I did the film uh, in 2000, and uh, last year I got to do the play. That's so different cool. Role, different role, because I've aged. Um, but to be paid uh, as an actor to work... Such a beautiful theater was 
a gift. Yeah, it's a really nice one. Yeah, it's a beautiful theater, which I hear is haunted, by the way. Ooh, um, interesting. We were looking for ghosts. Do you know what the story is? Um, yes, they said it's the 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 uh, founder of that theater. Um, they feel they f- sent him in the his what used to be his office, mm-hmm. and uh, where used to be his, where he used to sit to watch theater. They see him, and they also see a woman in a yellow dress. There's all these great stories, great theater. Man, if your theater isn't haunted, it's yeah, it's not. Take it off it. the map. It's not worth it. <laughs> uh, so then you eventually got to Batman. So you hadn't auditioned for any animation at that point. No, the only thing I I was doing was uh, radio commercials. I did uh, do uh, radio commercials for Sears for five years. Um, I had done some dubbing, but but not much. And uh, so I, I really was was. Uh, a, what is it, a fish out of water? Fish out of water. Fish out of yeah. water. Um, when I went to do this, and the first time when we we recorded, and it, it just it was incredible. It's like a symphony, a symphony of actors. Yeah. What was the experience like? That it was. I was in awe. I was just sitting there. Of course, imagine Mark Hamill. You know, you're. You're like, oh my, uh, but I was a child and I used to watch him. <laughs> and, uh, and he was the sweet, of all the stars that I met, he was the sweetest man, most, um, just so down to earth, so real. He was a dad. The man drove uh, a station wagon <laughs> with like three car seats, the, you know, children's, uh, and he was just such a dad. The only thing, he, he always called me Irene. He never got Ingrid. And it was fine. After a while, I was like, Irene, yes. I am Irene now, yes, I guess. <laughs> I'm Irene. I was Irene to him, and um, he was just the, the nicest man. Yeah, I guess better nice and forgetting your name than remembering <laughs> your name in a horrible yes. human being. <laughs> yeah. So I, I enjoyed... Um, but every... You, we sat... It was like a you, and um, you would, you know, sitting next to... Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., you know, somebody that you grew, I grew up watching on TV. Mm-hmm. I remember being a fan of his daughters. And then um, Paul Williams, uh, Mel- Melissa Manchester. Yeah, they really pulled out all the stops oh. for their guest stars. Um, who else? Um, I know they had Roddy McDowell come on in. Yes, and, like... and there was a, a woman... She played... She, what is her name? She was, um... Brenda? No. Um, she was in uh, Escape from New York. Adrian Barbeau. Adrian Barbeau, yeah. yes. I'm a big fan of hers. And she was Catwoman, yeah. Yes, I'm a big fan of hers. And I was floored when I met her. And uh, I just remember getting a lot of autographs along the way. <laughs> so you were getting autographs from them while you were doing the show? Yes. You, that, you would, you, that day... Because we would, you know, record them like once a week. They, um, you, you would have your your um, your script, and then you could go around and and get everyone's uh, signature. And he, Richard Mull, yeah, Ron Perlman. You know? Yeah, they're all. I mean, everybody was incredible. Yeah, that, I think that's one of the coolest things about the show is that the quality of every actor involved is like top notch. Yes. Uh, do you remember what the audition process was like? I mean, was it just a normal, you went in once and that was it? Or were there callbacks? Or I think there were callbacks. I just know I had to um, read some English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was it. I don't, I don't remember. And you did a so, bunch of episodes. Uh, I did. They haven't all come up because I did, I did about 10. Uh-huh. And um, I should have done more, but at the time my I had my husband had passed away. Um, I two years before we started doing the show, and at one point I had to travel to Costa Rica to see my dad. And I think it, I was having some personal issues, and I'm the one that I think picked up and left, and um, that is why I think they had to recast. But it's kind of fuzzy back then it was a long time ago you got to prioritize life things (laughs) yeah i had a child and you know i had gone through some hard stuff with uh, losing my husband so of course 
I um, originally when when I was cast, we were supposed to do sixty episodes. So I don't know. And you still are in some of the best episodes. Uh, I mean, do you want to talk about? Yeah, let's talk POV. I think POV is a it's a great. I mean, it's like Rashomon but with Batman. Yes, and you're the star. Yes, it was my episode, and. Robbie Benson, I don't know if a lot of people will know, but when I was growing up in L.A., Robbie Benson was a star on TV. And every teenage girl was in love with him. (laughs) And for those who don't know him as an actor, television actor or film actor, they'll remember him as uh, the Beast in Beauty and the Beast, um, which is when he started to to do um, animation. It wasn't something that he always did. But um, I remember him as a star, so I was completely starstruck with Robbie Benson. I was like, oh, my God, it's Robbie Benson. People are looking at me like, okay. (laughs) But um, it was a great episode, and um, that was a hard episode where um, Andrea Romano actually, I wonder if she directed it. There was, I think she directed uh, some, but it's, see, I think she directed this one. Yeah, I think she did because I remember I had a hard time with with all the action, and she had to give me some some tips on how to do it. Yeah, and what was difficult for you at the time? Um, I remember um, there was one. I'm not sure if it's. I don't think it's POV, but where I fly with Batman. Uh huh. And that was hard to do. The, you know the right. They're all very specific sounds. Mm-hmm. I feel like voice acting is such a middle ground. Where you have to communicate everything, but not, for this kind of show, go over the top or be too cartoony. Yeah. Uh, but, so you learned on the job. That's very cool. Yes. <laughs> she, she guided me. She guided me. And um, I'm going to look for her. Talk to her. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's been a long time. I think it's a very cool character to get to play, especially at the time... Uh, I mean, honestly, like you don't, you didn't see characters like that in television, children's television, like a non-white cop, and there wasn't a big deal made about it. Yeah, and she was tough. Yeah, she was tough. I lo- I love that. She was a woman. Like, I mean, there are all the. I mean, like, which is you know obviously normal. <laughs> yeah. But like at the time, especially in animation, it was kind of unheard of to see at least that kind of a character. I think. Yes, and I think that one of the, the now that I'm, I'm remembering. In the audition, and it was one of the lines I think was the freeze that that um, I think may have helped me get the job because it was like freeze, <laughs> you know. What I mean? There we go. <laughs> and she was tough, and they were like, okay. Yeah. Was there anything you did to prepare for this versus other roles, uh, or was it a similar process? No, I I really. I what, didn't know what to expect, and I was uh, again guided by Andrea a, a lot. She she helped me. She held my hand. <laughs> Where did you guys record? I believe in Burbank. I think it was. Burbank. I guess where they did all the Warner Animation stuff. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, yeah. And any any like notable memorable experiences you had working on the show? I uh, we had we had a few parties, but I, I think there was a Christmas party. Where um, we were walking, uh, walking around, and it's like I'm like a child, you know, w- w- amongst all these major stars, and just uh, enjoying them and, and going up to them and spending time. And I remember at the party, I spent some time with Mark, Mark Hamill, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was fun. But uh, I mean, all the the major stars, um, Carmen Zapata, who played a judge in. Um, you don't see her on TV anymore, but when I was when I was growing up, she was a major television star. So to me, that she was another star that I met and worked with, and she was great. She did a lot of animation, um, but I can't. No, no. What was your first reaction when you saw the show? So you had recorded it, and then you know, like any job, it kind of goes off to be made. And then, did you see it when it was airing, or was it further no, down the line? No, they sent us, I think they sent us a, um, um, a copy, and I was so impressed. I was blown away by, by it. And it was just so, it was, it's beautiful. It still, it looks great. Yeah, it holds up. The animation is yes, really beautiful. Yes, yes. 
So I was very impressed. Yeah, did you have a background? Did you watch cartoons growing up, or was it kind of a... I did. No, I did. And um, the... Oh, my God. The, the most interesting thing about animation, you know, we've done film, television, theater, but animation has the most loyal fan base ever. I have met... I have one of my brother's closest friends. I meet him and he's telling me what a fan he is of Batman. And then he proceeds to say the lines. He's memorized <laughs> the lines. And I'm like, wow. And I met many, many fans that know so much. They knew, I mean, I know nothing about Batman, the making, nothing compared to what they know. And they're teaching you, telling you this, 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 this and, da, 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 and then this year, and you know, there's so and so. And I'm going, oh my God, you guys are like a walking encyclopedia <laughs> of Batman. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had people recognize, I've been in another room and somebody walks in and says, were you in Batman? I just recognized your voice. And, um, you know, things like that. I mean, it's the most iconic version, I feel like, of that character who's now insanely popular. Yes. Uh, so you, you, I feel like you must get it a lot. I, I have fans. Well, of course, Stand and Deliver, and then there's Real Women Have Curves. These are iconic films. Yeah. Um, Batman has... The fan base is different, but at, through Facebook, I have friends all over the world... And she does have a big lesbian following. Really? Yes. That's very cool. Yeah. I've had, um, I had one, uh, uh, somebody with a, a, the name of a man write to me. Uh-huh. And then I found out that it wasn't a man. It was really a woman and a, a television, um, television star. Really? Yes. So they were, they had like an undercover name yes. for Facebook or something yeah, like that. As a man. Yeah. And um, I Googled that name, and it was a, a, a star. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool when a certain group of people just locks into a character, too. It's like, this is very meaningful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because you did so. I mean, there was one that was like an all, you know, Harley and Ivy, I think. And it was Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. And it's Renee Montoya who's the one who, like, gets them Yeah. in the end. Uh, and I feel like you're that was part of, like, a very, like, girl powery episode, too. I like the way she uh, she was... Batman's friend and she wanted to help him. Yeah, she was one of the most loyal or like honorable yes. characters in the series. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of crooked people in Gotham City. Yeah, that cop, Constant what's his name? Um Oh, Harvey Bullock. Yes. That was oh, Robert Costanzo. Yes. Great guy. He used to show up to the recordings with his father. Really? It was so sweet. Was and like, his father so, would just watch? Yeah, would sit there. I'm so Italian. It was so sweet. <laughs> And would he just watch like behind the booth or he'd like sit in with... No, no. He would sit outside because we would meet outside at first and then we'd go into the, the booth. I'm not sure where the father was, but he was always there. Hmm. Yeah. That's so nice. And I was a big fan of Richard Mulls. Richard Mull is great. Yes. He was Two-Face like, on yes. the show. Uh, but yeah, I imagine you worked with him a good amount on that show. I did. I think I saw him two or three times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you've got to work with kind of everybody as part of like the police force in the show. Yes. Um, let me ask you a fan question. Sure. Uh, <laughs> what do you feel drives Montoya to be a police officer in the most crime-ridden city of all time? Oh, I don't know. She yeah. wanted to protect, you know... I have no idea. I don't know how I would answer that question either, but... Uh... Yeah, she, she wanted to protect. She was there to protect. Um, so, beyond that, did you after you worked on Batman, uh, what was the experience like moving forward? Uh, so you'd taken some time off. Yes. Um, did you work in animation anymore? Uh, no, I didn't. I just... Wore, I went away for about 10 years... And then I, I was raising my child, my only child. That's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, after losing your husband and you're left with a, ch a six weeks old child, you, I went through I went through some hardship, and yeah. then I uh, started over, and I was raising her, and I had 
I, I was still working, but I realized when she was three, I was booked uh, back to back doing two commercials. It was really hard on her. And I realized I was the only parent, you know, with her. And I said, it's not worth me disturbing her life. Until she's older, I'll go back, you know, mm-hmm. go back to work. So we kept saying it was going to be when she was 10. And then she turned 10 and she still needed a lot of help. Um, but while I hadn't gone back to, to the business, I received a script from HBO. And they invited me to uh, work with them on Real Women Have Curves. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. So we worked on that. My daughter read the script and she read that, you know, we were going to have a scene in our underwear. And she said, please, mom, don't do this. Don't do this. You're going to embarrass me. How old was she at the time? Uh, I think she was 11. Sounds about right for being embarrassed. But (laughs) she was like, please don't, don't. And I said, no, baby, this is a good role. It's going to be a great movie. Um, Of course, when the movie is produced and we're doing... um, uh, publicity and she gets to travel with me first class everywhere she was like i'm so glad you did this yeah never was, mind this is great <laughs> yeah, i'm so glad you did this movie because we we did get to go all over the the country that's so cool so you got to travel together as we a result. went to sundance we won the audience award and then we went to other places beautiful play aspen film festival uh we went to chicago anyway and then she uh, passed away this was in 2002, and she passed away in 2003. I'm so sorry. So then I go away, you know. And, yeah. Um, but now I have a, a one daughter who is now 11. Mm-hmm. And she's now saying, you need to get to work. <laughs> so it's it's been interesting. She's excited for it. She's excited, and she sings, and um, she's, um, she's, she's excited. It's... It's it's good to um, I've enjoyed raising both both my daughters and and also you know I, for me media is always going to be there film television mm-hmm. so I can always take some time and then go back yeah so but th- meeting you and talking about the show has made me want to um, reach out to Andrea and see if, if I can meet her and talk to her she's great very kind yeah. cool warm. <laughs> And I'd like to thank her again for for helping me. At the time, she helped me a lot. Yeah, and you got to play a really cool, empowering character. It's a very strong woman. Yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff sticks with people, I think. Especially for kid shows, you know, that's imprinted on you forever. <laughs> I mean, look at what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think it's very cool. Do you know they're making an action figure of your character this year? No. My God. That is happening. I'm going to have to look into that. You were mentioning to me before we started getting uh, you know, on mic that uh, you came across a fellow named Chuck Perkins. Chuck Perkins works for... HeroicFineArt.com. Yes, and he is in the process of collecting the original cells, um, all of Batman cells, but um, especially Montoya's, and he's gonna, I'm going to autograph them and they'll be available. Uh, for any of the fans that want to buy them, yeah, they can contact Chuck. But before I f- forget, I do have a uh, series uh, called Gentri- Gentified. It's you know a play on gentri- gentrification, uh-huh. and it takes place in Boyle Heights, and it's about the gentrification that is actually going on and right has been now, going on yeah, right now. And it is a great series. It. Um, Stars America Ferreira. Uh huh. She's also an executive producer, and um, I have a small recurring role. Um, but it's just—it's written so beautifully. Um, it's so funny, and it has—it has mariachis. It has um, uh, a gay couple that's—they're artists, uh, old old school Mexicans. New Mexicans. It just has. It's like a potpourri of of just different folks that are that are living in Boyle Heights and what their experience is like. Check it out. It's going to uh, premiere in Sundance. Okay. On the twenty third, three episodes, and then I'm not sure yet where it's going to air. But keep your eye out uh, for Gentified. That's so cool. Gentified. It's a really fun series. All right, I'll check it out. So 
Thanks for doing the show, Ingrid. No, my pleasure. All right, guys, that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe in iTunes, leave a review, email me at btaspodcast at gmail.com, go to btaspodcast.com, follow me on Twitter at btaspodcast and at heyjustin. And remember, if you live in California, you live in Long Beach, or you just want to fly out here for the hell of it, even though you live really far away, come see Batman the Animated Podcast live for the very first time and perhaps the last time. Hopefully, that's not the case. Hoping to do more of these at the Long Beach Comic Expo. You can get your tickets online. It's February 19th at 1 p.m. That's a Sunday. Ooh, what a great way to spend the afternoon. Also, donate to the show if you like it at patreon.com slash podcast. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and created by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped create the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the booming voice of the podcast, and I would really like to thank my guests today, Clay Larson and Ingrid Oliu, for appearing on the show, as well as This American Life co-creator, Tori Malatia, who had this to say... No, you back off, Commissioner! Tori, this bit never gets old. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys, see you in a couple of weeks for more Batman the Animated Podcast. Bye-bye!